Hi everyone, thank you for joining us on Eagle Eye today. Every week we have exclusive interviews with BC professors, alumni, student athletes, and more. Make sure to follow The Heights on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook to catch up on the latest headlines and recommend guests you'd like to hear from. Joining us today is Christine Lenahan, a Joseph A. O'Hare Fellow at America Media, a Jesuit paper with the goal of connecting the church's mission to the world. She was also an undergraduate research fellow for the Boston College English Department. At BC, her studies included the 19th century feminist movement. Christine graduated from BC in 2023 with a degree in philosophy and English literature and will be pursuing a JD from BC Law this fall. Thanks so much for being here, Christine. Thanks so much for having me, guys. I'm excited. So let's start back during your time at BC. How did you choose philosophy and English literature? Did you foresee these two working together at all in your future career? That's a great question to start with. When I was a freshman at BC, I enrolled when I was applying to BC in MCAS, but came in undecided. I knew what I wanted to do. Like I knew writing and reading for my skill set was primarily housed. Um, math and science, maybe not so much. So the core curriculum was an intimidating thing for me to begin with. But it was through taking classes in the core that I realized, yes, those reading and writing skills are what I'm good at and what I feel kind of called to to study even further. So I took perspectives on Western culture with Carrie Cronin, uh, that, that very famous class. Uh, professor Cronin is a wonderful mentor and a phenomenal professor. Um, and so getting to take that class, study under her alongside some phenomenal classmates really made me realize that philosophy was one route that I could go as well. Um, and then my freshman year lit core class was a super fun one. I don't even know if it's offered anymore. Um, it was called Politics Throughout Literature from Julius Caesar to Game of Thrones. And so we in that class really got to engage a, in a wide variety of topics, um, all kind of through a political lens and writing and researching those types of papers made me realize that English was also a route I could go to. What led you to want to work for a Jesuit paper? Did BC's Jesuit identity kind of play into that decision at all? Yes, it certainly did. Jesuit education and the the values that kind of are instilled in you through Boston College were something I knew I wanted to continue in my postgrad life. Um, I heard about the O'Hare Fellowship through my TA for that Perspectives on Western Culture class. Um, she had gotten the fellowship when I was a freshman, and I thought, wow, that's really remarkable that she'll be able to live out those things that she believes in, all those Greek and Latin phrases we hear around Boston College's campus, magis, cura personalis, that she'll be able to do that beyond the heights. And so that had always been on my radar. But I also knew that I wanted to go to law school. That was something that I was kind of committed to from, from my freshman year. And so during that application cycle, I was applying both to law school and to the O'Hare Fellowship here at America Media. Um, and when I ended up getting both into BC Law and the O'Hare Fellowship, I knew I had to make a choice. Luckily, I was able to do both. So I will be going to Boston College Law in the fall of 2024. But in doing the O'Hare Fellowship now, I feel like I'm able to, to hone my craft. And so I think it was always in my mind, but knowing where I'm at now, I could have never predicted really what, what would have happened that I got to be able to do both. Yeah, that's great. I think that we talk a lot with our guests on the podcast about how BC's Jesuit identity really still impacts their lives and their career. And I think that that's just also another perfect example of how um, BC students 
often carry that into their lives after college. Mm -hmm. And it's always so nice to hear from like alumni, um, how much they treasure their time here at BC and the opportunities they were offered really helped them find what they want to do in life. Could you tell us a little bit about what you do for America Media? It looks like you write articles across all disciplines, uh, especially reflections, music analysis, and your own experiences in relation to Jesuit values and the church. Where do you find your inspiration for your articles? Wow, that's a really great question. Um, so my official title here at America Magazine is an, I don't know, O'Hare Fellow. It's named after Joseph O'Hare, um, who was a Jesuit priest. There are three O'Hare Fellows in each cohort, and we get to work here at America for for the year um, when our offices are in New York City. So being in the city is a primary source of inspiration for me. It really, there's so much going on at all times that you can really get inspiration from from anywhere. Uh, one of my favorite pieces that I've gotten to work on here at America was uh, an article that I wrote early on in the fellowship um, about growing up as an altar server, um, as a female altar server, kind of a role that is traditionally within the Catholic Church known as like an altar boy, but getting to be an altar girl and how that impacted the notion of God kind of at work in my life. Um, having the, an office space and having people on staff, writers, editors, really just surrounded by brilliant minds who were able to work out this idea with me, sitting in writing workshops with our poetry editor, one of our executive editors here getting just like in real conversations beyond an article um, that'll go up on our website, um, but actually about like what faith looks like lived out in our daily lives. That's the kind of stuff that matters. And so all of that is kind of a form of inspiration that goes into writing an article like that one. And again, all ties back to those, those Jesuit values. So I'm lucky I do get to write across a wide variety of topics, as as you mentioned, but that's one of the beauties of this job is that it's changing from, from day to day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, New York is definitely a really interesting city to be in. Um, my brother works there, so I've been a couple of times, and it's definitely a lot going on every day. You recently wrote an article titled The Beauty and Pain of Being a Nutcracker Ballerina, which we want to touch on a little bit. Uh, when did you first get involved in dance and were you expecting to find the cruel side of ballet when you joined? That's a really great question, too. Um, I have been dancing since I was about maybe like three years old, you know, mommy and me ballerina classes. Um, and dance had been such a concrete part of my life for so long. I really found that there is like a connection between the spiritual and the divine and that form of bodily artwork. And I was lucky enough not to dance at BC, but be very close friends with so many people who are on, what are 13 different dance teams? Like I'm thinking about Showdown, that was like my Super Bowl. Like that was, and, and I wasn't on the stage. I would be in, uh, in Conti, like losing my mind over my friends who were getting to perform. Um, so dance kind of had carried throughout my life, even when I stopped doing ballet. But the timeliness of that article, it being released during Christmas time, reflecting on going to see the Nutcracker in Lincoln Center in New York, talk about getting inspiration from everywhere, um, really kind of helped to, to contribute to that. You use like the kind of the dark side of ballet, too. And it's definitely it's definitely there. It's what I wanted to touch on. But I also really wanted to talk about the gender normativity that's in ballet as well. This I the, the feminine ideal and kind of how that can be challenged, especially because when you take the, the broader perspective that when we, we're all children of God created in God's image and likeness, how do we kind of manifest that on the stage? So that was the goal of that writing an article like that and getting to reflect on my own experience as a dancer as well was really wonderful. Yeah, I found that really interesting just reading the article because, like you said, being here at BC, Showdown is such an amazing thing. I mean, I have 
a lot of roommates in dance groups and other friends. So it's just such a fun event to go to. And the dance groups, they talk about all having like such great cultures and stuff, which mm -hmm. I think is amazing. Um, but I did think it was interesting to read what you were saying about whether it's, you know, body image or different just stigmas or stereotypes you're expected to keep up with being a ballerina. Mm -hmm. um, I guess what we were wondering is, do you see ballet moving forward in a more positive direction for whether it's just people watching or actually for ballerinas themselves? I hope for both, right? I guess we kind of have to hope for as audience members that writing pieces like this, getting to even at being on a college campus and getting to talk to your friends who are in D or Masti or whatever it is, um, knowing the hours that they're putting in behind rehearsals and thinking like just how that can deepen your appreciation for the work that goes into what they're doing on the stage. That's one side of it. Um, the other side of it is that during my research for the article, how many professional studios in New York alone, as well as like kind of across the country, um, are challenging some of those roles, particularly in their choreographers. Um, a lot of the time, the people who are coming up with the steps that you're seeing on stage are actually men. And they're kind of giving women this, this task to do, this task to perform. Now we're seeing that reverse a lot. Way more female choreographers for classical ballets, which is great. As well as some studios that have challenged it even further, casting male ballerinas in traditionally female roles and then vice versa. So I think we have to hope for change, see it and participate it and hope for more, even more. You touched upon this uh, a little bit already, but could you just take us through a little bit just in detail your writing process, like from research to like the actual writing part, like in your article um, about being a Nutcracker ballerina, like how do you articulate your thoughts on your life experiences while also connecting them with Jesuit values? So this all goes back to BC writing classes. I've had so many like formative professors at Boston College, Kim Garcia in the English department, Carla Rotella in the English department, and Laurie Harrison Kahn. All the the three of them really have inspired my my writing style. Um, and Professor Rotella used this analogy. I think it must have been my sophomore year, and it stuck with me that not all writing has to be good. When you write something down, it doesn't have to be the final product. He often talks about getting your chops in, kind of like a boxing analogy, that you're just practicing. You're practicing over and over again until you can get that punch, till you can deliver it really, really well. And that's how I approach my writing now and, and my job, is that I will open up a Word document, whatever it is, a Google Doc, and then just start. It doesn't have to be perfect. Sometimes they're sentence fragments. Sometimes I type in like something, 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 literally those words, something, 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 until I know what's going to go in into that place. So I had this idea for writing the Nutcracker piece after going to see the show. And I thought, hmm, wouldn't that be something interesting? There's a lack of that maybe in the kind of content that we produce for America. I think I could I could be up to the challenge. So I pitched the article, which is the next step kind of of what happens in the, in the office. Um, I pitched it to one of our editors who gave me the thumbs up and said, go ahead. Why don't we why don't we write that? Why don't we work on that? And so I came up with a first draft, sent it along to him. And then it goes through a couple stages of editing. And I'm so lucky here at this office. We, again, we have those like brilliant minds who know beyond just, oh, a comma should go here. You should fix this phrasing, but really look at like an argument's structure and are able to zoom out and be like any reader whether they have danced for a number of years or have no idea what a ballet even looks like, they're going to be able to understand what, what you're talking about here. So getting to work with them through three different rounds of editing, that also helps to go into the, into the final product. But usually it starts with seeing something, thinking about something, and then 
just kind of attacking that that word doc until it starts to form itself into more of an article. And that comes with the, with the helping hands of many, many other people. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I think that's such a great part about working for a news organization just in general is getting to work with so many other people. I mean, even like us as podcast editors, we get to work with people from all different sections of the paper. And I think that's something that's really great about it. And you've also written, like we mentioned before, a lot of music analyses. How did you get interested in that? What kind of sparked your inspiration for that? I think... And if I correct me if I'm wrong, my one of the the ones that got the most kind of engagement was when I talked about Sabrina Carpenter's song Feather, the new song that came out her the music video for that was filmed inside a Catholic church, which was like basically mm-hmm. like that's for for our audience here in America, that's like get like candy for them. Like they love something like that that connects <laughs> immediately to the church and what's going on in pop culture. Um and that's stuff that I love too. That's the kind of media that I I engage with. Um so as a music listener, a music lover. Um, Sabrina Carpenter wasn't always on my radar, but after hearing this song, I was like, this is great. Or something that you might, it's a perfect song that you'd hear in like the aisles of Target, I feel like yeah. oftentimes. <laughs> um, but really what I was getting to investigate in that song are not only the lyrics, some of the lyrics are included in there, but what artists can do with a lot of religious iconography. So Carpenter filming it inside of a Catholic church and talked about Lady Gaga's song Judas um, and Madonna's song Like a Prayer. All of those things involve this kind of Catholic language. What does it mean for an artist and for a wide audience? Think about how many people listen to Lady Gaga um, to be engaging with like these religious themes. And so getting to write about those kind of topics, those are just fun. And it's a it's a really great way to even just spark conversation in the office. I remember like all of us sitting in the newsroom while um, a bunch of our writers here, our desks are right around one another, which makes for great fodder and creative conversation, um, getting to talk about the song and did you hear this and whatever. So it it, um, it brings up a lot of uh, good naturally um, sprung inspiration, which is great. Yeah, that's great. I think I'm currently taking Pulse um, for my awesome. philosophy and we talk a lot about how you can interpret different religious texts or religious-based things in a lot of different ways. So um, I think that's really cool to incorporate pop culture with that and try to interpret that in different ways too. So kind of shifting gears a little bit, Mm -hmm. um, you briefly touched on how you knew you wanted to pursue a career in law. How did you decide that? Um, Was that kind of always part of your plan during your time at BC? Um, What led to that for you? So I'll frame it by saying that I've grown up in like a household full of lawyers. Um, Both my parents are attorneys, which has its merits at times. Let me say that. Sometimes our dinner table is a courtroom, so it has its downsides as well. Um, But for a while, I resisted this idea that there could ever, that that, uh, a law career could ever be in the cards for me. That's what my parents do. I don't want to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, And then my freshman year, as it, as it always is, I took a class um, with Father Greg Kalsher. He's the dean of the Morrissey College of Arts and Sciences um, called Justice, Law, and the Common Good. It was a freshman topic seminar. Not sure if it's still still offered, um, but there's only eight of us in the class. We got to sit in this conference room in Gaston Hall. And as a freshman, you feel very fancy getting to go into this <laughs> fancy conference with the dean. It was very cool. Um, but we really got to ask what it means to be a good person um, kind of in this legal civil world. Um, so whether that was reading court cases and then also reading works by Jesuit priests talking about the common good, um, really 
kind of in examining this idea of what it means to be men, women, human beings for and with others beyond Boston College's campus. So that kind of already planted the seeds for me. And then so I kind of knew that law school could be could be in the cards and that these are conversations that I enjoy having. Um, and what's more is that that kind of got capped off in my senior year um, when I took a class with Steve Pope in the philosophy department. And he also teaches in theology as well. So I took Professor Pope's Challenge of Justice class and we read Just Mercy by Brian Stevenson. Um, oh. Stevenson is uh, an attorney and a, and a rights activist for uh, men and women who are wrongfully incarcerated. Reading that book and getting to have a classroom discussion about that changed my perspective on what it means to be again, a woman for others beyond BC's campus, that my whole career could be dedicated to bettering um, the lives of other people who wouldn't even know what an education, what like justice can really look like on this level. And here I am sitting in Stokes Hall getting to learn about it. That has to mean something, right? And so I was, it's so inspired by that class. He's a wonderful professor. And I'm, our group message from that class still is popping off to this day, um, <laughs> talking about things and like what's going on in our world. Um, which is great. Um, but because of experiences like that, that kind of solidified my decision for for law school down the road. That's great. How um, do you foresee your current career kind of working into that and as you go into law school and then your career in the future? So I always hope to return to, to Jesuit education. That's always my number one, my number one goal. Um, I don't think an education like the one that we get at BC um, the one that we're challenged to get at BC ever really leaves you um, because I think it it does exactly what it what it sets out to do. Uh, it's not just forming your mind, but forming your heart and soul. You're like a real consciousness of of who you are. And so I think the work that I do now and getting to write kind of in this media ministry is what we kind of identify it here as America, getting to write for people that to hopefully you know, connect to their mind, heart, and soul. It's something that I hope to do in my in my legal career as well, change people's minds, hearts, and souls to better them as well. Um, so that's how I see that connecting on a like a more philosophical level, Jesuity level. Um, on the practical level is that I get to write all the time here. I was an English and philosophy major. I majored in reading and writing. My job now is reading and writing. Law school is all reading and writing. So it's, again, getting those chops in, to use that example. You're practicing your punch. You're just honing your craft over and over again. So it kind of functions both in the practical and in the philosophical too, which is always, always good. Right. Um, you mentioned uh, a lot of uh, the BC classes that inspired you and all the BC writing classes that's kind of like initially pushed you to who you are today. And also just like advice, like starting a Google Doc and just start writing. Mm -hmm. So for our last question, for people who are considering writing as a career or just as a hobby, like what advice do you have for them? Or like, what do you wish that you knew before getting started? Oh, gosh. And I'm going to say it. And it's like the ultimate cliche. <laughs> and like think about that scene in Ratatouille where he's like the little Remy the mouse is like I don't know if I can cook and then Gustav whatever appears and he says anyone can cook that's the exact example I'm going to give here for writing anyone anyone can write um, I feel like I'm I'm evidence of that <laughs> is that anyone can really do it um, and you don't need a Google Doc you need a pen and paper you need your brain um, and that every word that you write down does not have to be the final word on the paper that we have erasers and backspace buttons to hit over and over again if that's not exactly where you land. But the fact that we have our minds and voices and thoughts and words to express things to other people, that's a gift. That's something, at least for me, and 
being Catholic and and being steeped in all of this, the, the notions of the of the Jesuits that are all so good and so true and have been so fruitful in my life. That's a gift from God for me, um, and so it's kind of up to us to to get to use it. So for anybody who's a curious about getting to um, get into a career like this, open up that Google Doc, open up that notebook. Mm-hmm. There's something that you see when you're walking across the crowd quad or you overhear a conversation in the chocolate bar and ugh, what I would give to overhear a conversation in the chocolate <laughs> bar right now. In New, in New York, it's a totally different pace. I could be sitting there with my vanilla latte and chocolate croissant, um, like <laughs> writing things down. Um, it's just that, write things down. And that's how, how it begins. Awesome. Well, I think that's all we have for you today. Uh, thank Thanks, you so guys much. so much. Thank you for tuning in and listening to this episode of Eagle Eye. Remember to follow The Heights on Instagram and Facebook to recommend guests and check out The Heights Facebook and Twitter pages every Monday for the latest headlines. See you next time. Bye.